Good morning, LCM! Good morning! Today is going to be a good day. It is Father's Day in this house. It is Father's Day, and we have been celebrating holy masculinity for several decades at this point. But even more so, in this recent season of teaching and understanding, what Adonai has already given us. I was privileged personally to grow up inside of this house. I remember the day that all of you found this place. Man, what a good day that was. That time frame reminds me of Jacob in the book of Genesis. I'm going to pick up with you in the 32nd chapter in the ninth verse. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. For I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. But now I have become two groups. Saints, my perspective is unique. Because I was here when each of you arrived having only a staff in your hand. It has been encouraging to watch each of you grow, to watch each of you prosper so that the blessings of the Lord are visible and apparent in your lives. Amen. Adam Cora is such a man. Your growth, your development could only be described as rising rapidly. And even more so after recent uh, adjustments, you're becoming an extraordinary man of God. Amen. Ray Ludvigson, I remember when you were single. You were single and childless. But look at you now, brother. Come on. Look at Ludvigson the Lionheart. He is a husband and he is a father of twins. Twins. God has blessed that man in every way. He's got a staff and twins. Rick Lawhorn. That's awesome. Rick Lawhorn is one that I remember growing up. Man, we've come a long way, brother. When you first came here in your bachelor area of life, man, you, your car came here towed on a trailer. At the time, you're still straightening out a few legal issues. But today, who Rick Lawhorn is today in this house? Yes. Well, he's an excellent Bible teacher. Yes. I don't know if you've ever studied with the man, but he loves the word of God. He's an excellent father and husband. The blessings of God are obvious in his life from the day that he came here to now. Now, I don't know why. I mean, just the phrase, only a staff in my hand. Just and that, that particular phrase makes me think of a man named Nolan Hewitt. <laughs> Nolan, you showed up here a troubled teenager. And look what the Lord has done since Come on. then. Amen. Hallelujah. Nolan, you're in a ministry team. You're a great husband and an excellent father of not one, but three beautiful boys. Church, we've been blessed in every way in this house, and it is time that we celebrate that. Amen, Amen to that. Come on now. Turn with us to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at verse 44 together. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy 
went and sold all he had and bought that field. The whole field. The whole field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and he bought it. Now, I haven't been here quite as long as Pastor Judah, but I've had the pleasure of finding the treasure in the field. I found that pearl, the thing of such value that I gladly gave away everything else to obtain it and be here at LCM. Amen. One of the things that I love about our church, and by the way, have I told you how much I love our church, is that we are a community that has all done the exact same thing. Come on. I mean, I can remember when Andrew Tisdale got here. I mean, I remember when he showed up. He was kind of in a fog. Most of the time, kind of sleepy. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But I watched Andrew engage in the way of life and develop through serious discipleship. Come on. Andrew, you have become an alert, attentive, powerful servant of Jesus Christ. The Lord has given you an amazing wife and, and a beautiful daughter. Andrew, the strongest Christians in this church... Across the board, they all love and cherish your friendship. It is clear that the Lord has blessed you in every possible way. Come on, come on, church. As I'm thinking about this, I remember when Paul Rosales got here. Oh, <laughs> Puma! Puma! Paul is a born leader. Yeah. But he arrived here discouraged and disillusioned, without fraternity and without direction. And yet the Lord anointed this man and gave you a purpose, Paul, a vision to clear, to hold, and to build. Yeah. Paul, you're not only leading your family well. I mean, like a man. You are leading other families in this church as well. The Lord's power is clearly at work in Paul Rosales. Now, on the subject of a single man with only a staff in his hand. What about Rhett Phillips? I mean, it's easy to remember when Rhett got here, because that was only about a year ago. I mean, I remember Rhett that he was here just as a nominal believer, didn't have very much self-reflection. But what has happened is that Rhett has been filled with the Spirit. He's been baptized and discipled in ongoing and meaningful ways. Where's Rhett? He's teaching in the back. Look how he's grown. So grown. Church, I want to let you know that Rhett is a fulfillment of prophecy that predates Rhett even arriving at this church by almost a decade. The magnificent sovereignty of our God is on full display in a man like Rhett Phillips. Church, my perspective may be even more unique than that. I've been here long enough to see men that indeed had something beautiful and yet still be unfulfilled in their purpose and struggling in their vision. It reminds me a little bit of Luke 15's missing sheep or lost coin or straying son, possessing something amazing and yet missing something. And then we saw something beautiful and miraculous happen here. So we're going to do something we don't normally do. I first want to quote to you Luke 15, 6. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. 
Yo, somebody say rejoice. Rejoice. I have found my lost sheep. Come on. Now, we don't normally use our elders as examples in this way, but I want you to see that there is no segment of our church that has not grown. I was here the day that Charlie and Joe showed up. Yeah. Look, we had been friends for many years, but I watched spiritual warfare and collapsing ministries and attacks from false brothers beat them so badly that they were only fractionally the people that you see here today. Their family had been scattered. Their aspirations for leadership within the body were diminished. And our own relationship was in serious question. Somebody say, but glory day. But glory day. day. But glory day. We watch Jesus regather their family, heal their vision, reorder their home. And now all we want to do together is rejoice that the sheep have returned. The coins have been found. It is all back in the sun that helped found the house is now in an elder's role. Amen. That's miraculous, don't you think? How could we say anything other than that the Lord has prospered and Amen. blessed the Browns? You know what else? He's also prospered and blessed us right alongside them over the last decade. Come on. Maybe even because of them, we're connected in ways that are hard to explain to an outsider. Look, as we're reflecting on these things, I was here on the day that a, hear this, beardless Borgia Regina showed up. I thought he was born with a beard. Yeah, I, I was told he was born with a beard, and look, sin and a difficult life removed it. But his hair began to grow again. Now, Borgia had bravely left the Serbian Orthodox community, and he was in search of something more. There is Regina's miraculously found life within the church of christ the denomination <laughs> yeah those kind of miracles never cease to amaze me now the truth is is that they probably represented the best thing that ever came out of that community definitely but when he arrived here when he saw the spirit of god transform his son and his daughter-in-law when his beloved mala how you doing mala when his beloved Mala was filled with the Holy Spirit in a revolutionary way, I saw something else. I watched Boj Eregina transformed into a new man. It was no longer difficult for him to shed the traditions of men and pursue the genuine biblical faith with passion. That happened here. Now, we've had dozens of countries together. Been in the Middle East, South Africa, all over Eastern Europe. They're, those countries are all under his belt. How can we not, as a community, say that the Lord has blessed the Eregenas in every regard? Hallelujah! And blessed all of us right along with them. Amen. Now, speaking of having only a staff in your hand, I remember a baby-faced John Deng. <laughs> How old are you? <laughs> I mean, he was drunk at our very first crawfish boil. And that's in the days where we didn't have a stance on alcohol at all. We just weren't sure what to do. Totally smashed. That's how I met John Dang. 
I can't remember exactly how the phrase goes, but it's something like he did not have a pot to spit in. Close. Not a close. It's paraphrase. It's the New Living Translation. <laughs> there wasn't a single stable thing in John's life. Debts abounded. Even sweet Miss Joy was questioning the validity of their union. But glory day. Yeah. When the power of the Spirit entered John Dang, when discipleship became his daily pursuit, when the biblical calling became this man's sole ambition, then we saw the makings of an elder beginning to come into fruition. Could anybody doubt that the elders of this house has been prospered in every way by the Lord? And we've all been prospered with them. Amen. If it's true of the strongest Christians in our church, then it is true of every Christian in this church. Amen. We did not fall out of the sky already blessed. God has done miracles in our midst, and it is progressive. Amen. Can somebody say hallelujah in this house? Hallelujah! It's worth taking the time to rejoice in the progress that God is making in our midst. Now I want to take a minute to rejoice that Juan is with us this morning. Oh, you know, Judah. <laughs> we were reflecting on Juan this morning because he's having a meteoric rise in this house. I think he's just perfecting his apostolic calling because all of those apostolic letters were written from a certain place <laughs> of restriction that brought freedom to the rest of us. You got to love when you have a house full of men of God that their faith only grows in difficult circumstances. Now, as we're reflecting on the progress that we've all made, you know, church, every single man, every male can remember glorious discoveries in their life. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about those first times when you discovered something absolutely amazing. Yeah. Remember sure. back with me to the first time that you found it. I mean, I... I personally was a teenager. Now, Pastor Wade tells me that statistically, this usually happens in a boy's teenage years. I was a teenager when I found it. I mean, me too. the first time you really discovered it. Do you know what I'm talking about, church? Mm. I mean, some of you were late bloomers, but most of you were teenagers when you found it. Now, personally, after finding it, I mean really discovering its purpose and usefulness. I just couldn't get enough of it. I mean, I could not keep my hands off of it. That's true. true. Yeah, absolutely. I look for moments to be alone, to sneak away, so that I could have the experience again and again. I was obsessed. Do you guys know what I'm referencing? Are you going to make me say it? Yeah. Daniel Cho, are you going to make me say it, or do you know what I'm talking about, brother? I don't know. I mean, like Josiah, do you know what I'm talking about? Well, of course, I mean King Josiah in 2 Kings 22.8, where he found the book of the law. Oh, yeah. I found it. I found all the life Come that on. it was intended to give, and I could not keep my hands off Come of it. Come on. This was the eureka moment of a lifetime for me. Come on now. 
You know when I quoted Matthew 13 earlier to you? When Pastor Eric referenced Luke 15 and even the Septuagint version of 2 Kings 22 that Pastor Judah just mentioned to us. They all point to amazing discoveries of a lifetime. You might recognize the Greek word as the one that we say when you find a discovery. It's Eureka. 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 No, no, no. You can do better than that. Say it with me. Eureka. See, this phrase is attributed. Attributed. <laughs> I'll get it in a second. We're discovering it. We're just, we're just going to work through this. In the process. It's attributed to Archimedes. He was quoted as saying, Eureka, when he had just discovered, after incredible trial and error, a method of determining the purity of gold. He finds the actual way to determine purity of gold and says, Eureka! See, he found it. And so have you, LCM. Each of you has been placed on a journey, and you are discovering new steps continually that determine the purity of the gold of your faith. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7 says this, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Did you hear that, church? Praise, glory, honor. What does it do? It happens when Jesus Christ is revealed, when you've discovered it, when you've found it. Eureka! I'll give you a hint. We find him many times throughout our life during the hopeless situations that have resulted from our own actions. Church, we get to find him again and again and again. Somebody say Eureka with me. Eureka! Church, the truth is that most of you have proven and genuine faith. We're all on a journey of discovery and we're doing it together. And that journey is ever perfecting the faith that we have. Our journey is full of eureka moments. When we're facing disasters of our own making, much like Genesis 32 where Jacob had a disaster of his own making, we realize that we do in fact have the staff in our hand. And we've even been added to in every way since our initial faith. Hallelujah. But nonetheless, our dealings with Esau in the past cause us to begin to believe that we may not be able to move forward. Now, our topic this morning is discoveries. It is finding it. In fact, the title of the message is Eureka, I Found It. Say Eureka with me. Eureka, I Found It. I Found It. Now, this is in reference to the continual discovery and rediscovery of God's kindness that is expressed in your continual development. Everything that we're going to talk about today is about your continued development, not a one-time transaction at salvation. So if you draw your eyes to this map that is on the screen, we want to set the context of a passage that you're going to encounter with us. So take a look at the slide. The green section on the bottom of the map, that's the territory of Judah in the time of Joshua. Now, if you slide just up from that to that small orange area, can y'all see that? That's the territory of Benjamin, where the city of Jerusalem is found. I'm just giving you some reference points. 
If you keep scanning up from that, you'll see the tribe of Ephraim and then West Manasseh. Do you have your eyes on West Manasseh? Right in the center left of the map. We're going to be speaking about a discovery in West Manasseh. And remember, West, Sama West Manasseh is often called Samaria in our time. It's not the name that I would choose for it, but it is how it's often referred to. Now, so that you don't miss, we're going to keep zooming in. The next slide is going to focus in even closer so that you can discover an important geographical reference. You clearly see arrows everywhere, right? Notice that Mount Ebal is in the center of your screen, and it is due north of Mount Gerizim. Notice that the city of Shechem is right between those two mountains. Where is Shechem? Right, right between. Between the two mountains. Now... That map is a little small, it's a little congested. I'm, I'm a grandfather now, so we have some mercy on you. We simplified it even further for you. Look at this next one. These three reference points all are going to be vital for your understanding of what we want to share with you this morning. Each of us is going to be on a journey of eureka moments. Moments where discovery is the single best thing that ever happened to us. Not just an initial discovery, discoveries along the journey. I want to begin with you in Deuteronomy 11, and I'm going to start in verse 29. And you can take a moment and get that picture if you want. Did you all get it? Okay. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. Now, to grasp this, the believing community has already left Egypt. They experienced the miraculous power and, and were purchased with the blood of a lamb. They are walking uh, on their way through Sinai. They've already been at that revelation. And they're still told at this point in the journey that they have to proclaim blessings from Mount Gerizim and curses from Mount Ebal. This is not the starting place. This is a place on the journey. The believing community is the same believing community that when they entered the promised land, had to slay giants and had to drive out seven nations stronger and more powerful than them. And they're still told, we want you to proclaim from Mount Gerizim blessings and from Mount Ebal curses. Church, every believer in this room is authentically on a journey that is still going to involve eureka moments that relate to these two very important mountains. When you stop to think about salvation and realize that it is not a singular event and is not a legal transaction like a debit card purchase and start thinking about it as a journey towards perfection. A perfection that you are already credited with, but that you can only continue to approach by facing imperfection in your life. It changes things. The eureka moments we're going to talk about today actually begin to abound and they become more beautiful because you are discovering an imperfection that you get to walk on from towards perfection. It stops being discouraging and starts becoming beautiful. Oh, I can tell that that's going to settle in more as we continue. Somebody say, Eureka. 
Eureka. So keeping in mind that Mount Gerizim is where blessings are pronounced and Mount Ebal are where curses are pronounced. Keeping in mind that Shechem is right between the two mountains. We're going to pick up together in Deuteronomy 27, verse 1. Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, Keep all these commands that I give you today. When you have crossed the Jordan into the land, the Lord your God is giving you. Set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal, as I command you today, and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. Do not use any iron tool on them. So, saints, let's notice some important features from this passage. The altar, it had to be from uncut stones. It was the work of God, not of any man. It had to be arranged from what God had provided on the mountain Ebal. There had to be stones of testimony that were covered in plaster. This was to record the revelation of Torah that Israel had received along their journey up to that time so that it could be preserved for the future generations. Now, shockingly, the altar of God was specifically located on the mountain where cursing is proclaimed. That is Ebal. Remember, there are two mountains here. Ebal is the one that he designated the altar to be on. Saints, I can tell you personally, we would all love to have our experiences with God center solely on a mountain of blessings. But the thing is, the thing is, that is not how we encountered him the first time when we had a staff at our hands. No, that's not where our eureka moments came from, nor will they continue to come from along our journey. The altar is on Mount Ebal because it is in the revelation of things that curse our own lives. Things that are in opposition to God's blessing and his direction. Those are the moments we find Eureka, I found it, the opposition to the pathway of God's blessing. What mountain is the altar on? Ebal. There is no altar on Gerizim. We're going somewhere with this, and it's very important that we get these. We know that each of you are Bible scholars. I really do. Look across the room. I look at somebody like Jaron and realize what a brilliant mind that God has given this man. I, there are so many Bible scholars in this room. You have a profound knowledge of the geography of Israel. And I know that you're doing your best to visualize this rightly about Ebal and Gerizim with Shechem in the middle. We actually have a satellite photo that we took from Google Earth yesterday, and we want to show you a picture to help you to understand and comprehend. You will notice that at the very top of the slide, right in the middle, you see Mount Ebal. This is the mountain where the curses were proclaimed. Do you guys see that right at the top? You need to notice a few things from this satellite map of Ebal. Do you notice how barren it is? Do you notice how lifeless it is? There's nothing that's going on there. There are no buildings on Ebal. There's no signs of life. There's no water sources or springs. 
There's no agriculture. Truthfully, it's just a mountain that is just filled with stones. Now, all the way down to the bottom of the slide, the bottom of the screen, right in the middle is Mount Gerizim. You'll see that surrounding Gerizim are springs and life and agriculture. Entire cities have been built up right here around Gerizim. This is the mountains, the mountain where the blessings are pronounced. And you could see that even in the topography here. See, in between was the city of Shechem. Its placement is deliberately at the well that Jacob dug on his own journey towards perfection. In between was where Jacob found and dug the well on his journey towards perfection. And as you're soon going to see, the site that is the site that Israel's often purified the gold of their faith in eureka moments throughout their history and throughout their journey. See, when Moses gave Israel the Torah, he told them that he set before them life and death blessings and curses, and even the land of Israel reflects the truth of God's word. You can see it clearly displayed on the screen for you. How often is it, church, that in our barrenness, where no life can occur, God himself, listen to this, Carlos, conceives something at an altar that causes life to grow and develop within us. This was the word of prophecy that Carlos gave during our worship time this morning. Remember, it doesn't come to your blessed areas and conceive life. He comes to your barrenness and conceives life. See, you got to remember that Moses said to do this, to build an altar on Ebal. And we would like for you to see that Joshua carried out his instructions in Joshua 8 and verse 30. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an, un, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials, and judges... We're standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant, facing the Levitical priest who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them stood in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Church, are you getting the imagery here? The people of Israel are actually between the two mountains. They are on a journey from cursing and barrenness to conception and life and blessings. Come on. The ark of God is between the two mountains leading them on this entire journey. Church, are we really any different? No. We would have loved for this to be completed on the day that you first made a choice. But the fact that remains is that we make choices every single day. It's Father's Day. And you look sleepy. We're having a hard time today. We're fighting with a lot of things that ah, it's just not going to make you privy to. <laughs> we want you to dial into something. You do not live on Mount Gerizim. You also do not live on Mount Ebal. Shechem was between those two mountains. 
the ark of God was between those two mountains. Both mountains were in reference, but the people of God were on a journey that was between the mountains. I know that you all got born again, and you're so blessed, so blessed, so blessed. Not as blessed as you're going to be. I know that since you've been born again, you experience cursing too. You experience sin too, but it's not as much sin as you were in. Okay, We are on a journey between these two mountains. That's the imagery that we want you to get. Perhaps the single biggest misconception in the Christian faith is that because you met God once while you were on Mount Ebal, you now live on Mount Gerizim. The truth is, is that you can only meet with God on Mount Ebal at his altar, but you are presently being led by the ark between the two mountains. You're still very much on a journey. We're going to explore this with you for just a second by reminding you what happened at Mount Sinai, another set of mountains, and another uh, scenario. Remember, Israel had already come out of Egypt and was already following God's visible spirit in a cloud every day. Can we say that's on a journey of salvation? Yep. What we're about to read is a statement that is made immediately after God gives the most comprehensive revelation to mankind that had ever been given, and an entire nation hears God speak all at once. Quite a miracle, right? Yep. Exodus 20 and verse 24. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts might be exposed. Yeah. Israel was already on a journey from death to life. Israel was already bought by the blood of the Lamb, delivered by God's power, and following the leading of His Holy Spirit every day. And yet, in God's wisdom, He knew that they would still need an altar every day because they were still on the journey towards perfection. The same moment that God outlines what will be life for them, He makes provision for what He knows is true about them and you should know is true about you. Yep. You'll never take steps forward in your journey of perfection without facing continually new areas of imperfection that you discovered in a eureka moment. Come on. Why are they eureka moments? Because you're discovering how to purify your faith, which is of more precious value than gold. Amen. The journey that we're on is not based on a singular choice. But it's based on rejoicing in a continual choice that we make every time we find ourselves back on Mount Ebal. It, we find ourselves cursed and lifeless because of the choice that we made in the moment. But we also choose the Spirit of God to lead us towards Gerizim. We get to do it again and again and again. These aren't sad moments in our lives. No. Lately, we've been hearing some of you a little down that you found out that you do not represent the absolute ideal man, that you have room to grow, that as women, you are not yet the perfected bride of Christ. These are things that we're credited with, and you, you feel the pressure of, 
I just can't believe it. I thought I would be further by now. No, no. These are eureka moments because you're finding out exactly where you can encounter God again and move forward. Do you want to be pure gold in this house? Yes. Somebody say yes again. Yes. If you're fighting to be the pure gold of God, to have a pure faith, then when someone shows you how to purify the gold, you ought to cry, Eureka! I found it. The it's gold only 14 carat, Judah. It's only 14 carat. I was hoping for 18. We'll keep purifying it. Church, we're doing all of this in an effort to help you understand that we haven't completed our journey yet. But it has begun. We are in progress. And we are never going to despise the day of small beginnings in this house. We see ourselves because we know our God is leading us and he's showing us. Eureka, I found it. How to grow and be purified. Now we're going to step out in a great act of faith. Are you ready for this great act of faith? Like we are going to count on the sound booth to play a video for us. Are you ready, sound booth? So what you're looking at in this video is Mount Ebal, and in the distance is Gerizim, where the cities and trees are spread out on. It's going to continue to pan and give you a feel for what you've been reading about. This is Ebal. This is all that Ebal is, is Grass, shrubs, and rocks that make it impossible to plant and sow. Now this is from another angle. In the center is where Shechem would be. To the left side is Gerizim. To the right, where nothing is built and no one wants to live, that's Ebal. Now guess what has been found on Ebal? This is Joshua's altar. You can see it's made of stones, and we're going to get a zoomed-in view here in just a moment. What we're looking at is the foundation of an earthen ramp. Not steps, but what you would build a ramp to ascend the altar on. Not exposing your nakedness, Pastor Wade. What we want to talk to you about this morning, as we are learning to understand the biblical world, that earthen ramp that you saw is following the exact prescription laid down by Moses and followed by Joshua. In 1980, there was a man named Adam Zertol who discovered this site. And during excavations that were taking place between 1982 and 1987, some amazing things were revealed. Around this altar, they found two Egyptian scarabs. Two Egyptian scarabs that were transported from Egypt into the land of Canaan. And show an obvious connection from a people leaving Egypt in an exodus, bringing it all the way up to this point. Now, what is more they found here? A one inch by one inch lead inscription that happened to be in Paleo-Hebrew with the name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, written on it, and the word for curses on Mount Ebal by this altar. Now, unique to altars during this time from within the land, because there were pagan altars everywhere, unique for altars in the land, the bones and identifiable remains of the animals here are all 100% kosher animals, acceptable sacrifices according to the law of Moses. In fact, to this day, there are 2,862 bones that are identifiable. They're almost exclusively sheep, goats, cattle, and a kind of kosher deer native to Israel. 
Now, all of this is along with pottery and every other thing that were found were all consistent with the dates of the man of God, Joshua, and his construction of the altar. Church, these things are all from 3,400 years ago. And yet they still testify to a stage in the journey of the people of faith that we in this house are imitating. 2,862 bones remain to this day as an ongoing testimony to the nature of our journey. We have not made a singular choice that landed us on Mount Gerizim in the blessing zone here to stay. Instead, we continually choose to journey from our own cursed habits, our own cursed thinking, our own cursed decisions, leaving them and heading by the Spirit of the Almighty God toward the mountain of blessing. Amen. As a body, we're in a time of discovery with one another. We're finding eureka moments. I found it. I found what was not pure. These moments have revealed that we are still dealing with a mountain of cursing. Mountain of cursing from the things we should have done and didn't. Or the things we shouldn't have done and did. But glory to God, we have found what those things are. Eureka! The secret is that these discoveries... Man, they're like steps in our journey, pieces of a puzzle towards perfection. We should rejoice when we find them. Every time we face a present mistake, oh man, we're beginning to see a little more of Gerizim still before us and its blessings. That comes through the altar that is only available. Somebody say, only, only. Available. available on Mount Ebal. On Mount Ebal. The eureka moment is that you discovered an impurity. But that's not all it is. Because in the same moment, you are also discovering how to become more pure. The eureka moment is not about your degradation. It's about discovering a flaw that was already there that you didn't know about. And now you know that it's there and can be purified. See, church, we act like God is having a revelation about you rather than you having a revelation about you. He knew your problem the month before you knew that you had that problem. All that is happening is a eureka moment. I now know how to test the purity of the gold, and I'm going to Gerizim. Because we haven't told you, but these mountains are a little over a mile apart at their peaks. At their bases, they're about 500 yards apart. That's it. The distance between Ebal and Gerizim is very close when you're standing at the ark. Come on. Church, these, these choices, these decisions to see what God is doing is not a one-time event. I mean, think about what Pastor Judah just said. 2,862 bones that are still identifiable. After 3,400 years, it shows that it was not a singular event. It wasn't just one animal that they found. They found over and over. See, the people of God continually have to face the fact that they're yet again needing to go to Ebal. That they have to make the choice again. That they found another eureka moment. And we look at it with joy and saying, I know what to do now. I will make the choice again. I'll make it again and again. Eureka. 
This is how you purify your faith. Hallelujah. This is a sign that you are moving toward Gerizim and blessing. This is the sign that your God is with you, not that you should tuck your head and be in despondency and discouragement and despair. Church, we can, we have, and we will. We'll do it again. This is the exact thing that we see in Joshua 24 in verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Now, Eric said it earlier, but there's probably a good chance that you missed it. Where is all of Israel encamped here? <laughs> they are encamped at Shechem, which is between the mountain of cursing and the mountain of blessing. They are on a journey. Somebody say journey. Journey. And so are you. You're on a journey. Now look, we are working to make sure that you are getting this because it is for your sake that God has caused this message to be birthed within us. I was born to be a pastor. Simply, plainly. This means that I know you and I'm actually concerned for you. Have you been discouraged recently, church? Raise your hand if you've been personally discouraged in your walk lately. Yes, we're talking to you. Did you find out that you haven't been doing things as well as you thought you were? Anybody? No, go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see it. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm asking because these are your eureka moments. Come on. You now know. The problem wasn't that you weren't doing it wrong. The problem was you didn't know that you were doing it wrong. You were moving along all the time, and now the revelation has come that something's been wrong all along the journey, and now God has brought it to your attention. Eureka, you've now found it. Come on. Now the decision comes, what are you going to choose to do? There's an altar on that mountain. Yes. There's another opportunity for you to meet with your God. Hallelujah. Church, he's not discarding you. He's developing you. That's why you're here is because you want to be developed. This is that process. Don't pull away from what God's doing. Lean into it. Realize the choice that is there. Church, these are the moments that imperfect men find out that they still need to be perfected. Do you realize the difference in what we all say and what we really feel? Anybody notice that difference? Oh, I know that I'm not perfect, but then you're destroyed the moment that you find out an area that you're not perfect in. Oh, no, I know it's all God's grace and all God's power. Ah! See, this is what we're getting at today. We're trying to show you that the altar is on Ebal, but that the blessings are on Gerizim, and between that is the ark of God's presence. It is Shechem that is showing you that you're still on the journey, and the truth is that's where we hang out most of the time, is in Shechem. See, these are Eureka moments, church. You've discovered the formula for testing the purity of your faith, which is like gold. It's going to keep getting refined as you keep going through this process. Most of the people that I know outside of the One Association, they just don't want to keep going through the process. So they more than stall 
They begin to have atrophy. They begin to shrink in their walk with the Lord because they don't like the process. They don't like this process. But that's not who you are, church. We're going to keep making the decisions that will cause us to grow. Your faith is now purer than it's been. You found the impurity and you now know how to deal with it. You guys are my family. You're my friends. God did not discover the impurity. He loved you before and he still loves you now. The revelation, it's your revelation that you're getting, not his. Now we gather our faith, we rise up, we move from the altar into the valley of Shechem where the ark of God's presence dwells. These are steps forward towards Gerizim that has all the blessings. We're not going to belabor the point forever and ever. I hope you're starting to understand, but, you know, a small metaphor did just strike me. I've been warned against using these, particularly off the cuff. But my wife will tell me sometimes, like, I know I'm not that good a cook, but I made something for you, and I, I want you to try it. And you know what she wants to hear when she made that. The acknowledgement that she's not that good of cook is actually a defense against finding any imperfection. Because if I say, you're right, this is kind of lacking, it needs some salt, that's devastating. When in reality, all she has to do is throw a little salt in it and it's perfect. We need to be careful how we treat our faith. I know I'm not perfect, I just, I love the Lord. Well, if you're saying that to avoid having to deal with the areas that you're not perfect in, man, just throw a little salt in that dish. It'll be fine. Okay? These situations are easily fixable. God knew what you were ahead of time. Sidney Bell, I was there when you were born. He knew that you would be willful. He knew that you'd be a strong leader. He knew that there'd be more than a twinge of rebellion in you. But he also knew that he put an altar on a mountain that you can see. And when you visit that altar, you'll be able to see the blessed life in the distance and with courage embark on the journey. Now, most of you in the room are on that journey, but you act often as if you should have already arrived. You don't look the last giant you face is death. You will not arrive before the resurrection of the dead. There is no more encouraging couple in this church to me than a man that is my father. That's Charlie Brown. Because he is still, with courage, having eureka moments where he goes, Well, now, now, brother man, I don't know if that's the way my family should have behaved on that day. Which means he is still improving. Come on. See, I've kind of had the idea that we all plateau somewhere and then most fall away. Charlie is proving to me that you never have to plateau. Hallelujah. You don't have one eureka moment. You can have many throughout your life, and they will always push you forward. Now, do you realize that verse, the verse that Pastor just read, it contains step one of the whole process. It says, they presented themselves before God. What Wade said really couldn't be any more right. Your father knew how screwed up you were when he caused you to find the altar on Ebal the very first time. And he's been leading you on the journey towards Gerizim. You're a son that he's disciplining you. And that means that he lets you see how much Ebal is still in you. And then he gives you the opportunity to present yourself before him. And catch this. 
Choose him again and again and again. Now, this ought to relate to a lot of things. I keep saying Ebol. Do you carry Nabal and Abigail cards in your pocket? Don't be confused. The words sound similar. That's because you are already acknowledging that you need the altar on Mount Ebal all of the time. That card is like two mountains in your pocket. One that you spend time on called Ebal or Nabal, and the other that you're headed towards called Abigail or Gerizim. We're in this process, and when you see a Nabal trait or a Mount Ebal trait, you could fall on the ground and tear your clothes, or you could say, Eureka, I found it. It was hiding, but I'm going to carve it out. I'm purifying my faith. And we're suggesting the latter and not the former. Look how this passage continues. This is Joshua 24, 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, somebody say as for me. As for me. And my household. See, that's dominion, man. We will serve the Lord. Israel is at least 50 years into their journey of faith out of Egypt at this point. That actually reminds me very much of Charlie and Joe, who are about 50 years into their journey of faith. And yet Israel is discovering idols that have to be thrown out of their life. That ought not make you disappointed in Israel or disappointed in an elder. Do you know why? They're showing you that you can still throw them out of your life. They're setting the example for us that not just on day one, every day thereafter, you choose God again. That's the eureka moment. Elders encourage us because they're the best among us, and yet they still find impurities and get to choose him again. Do you know what else was in our geography? There's Gerizim and there's Ebal. But the ark of God was between the mountains where the people camped. His spirit is a spirit of holiness, both showing you where the altar is and what needs to die in you and compelling you where you're going. If you're going to be led by the spirit, you are going to be in a cycle that continually moves from Ebal to Gerizim. From Ebal to Gerizim. Look, the truth is, Every eureka moment is an amazing discovery. They chose him before and they get to choose him again. This is what salvation looks like. When you find an impurity, you're also finding the path to purity. It's a chance for you to take a further step. Can we all say that we were doing the best that we knew how to do yesterday? Yes. But now I know better. Now I get to go further. Now I get to choose to move towards life in blessing. Am I the only one having that experience? No. Go back and listen to some recordings from a few years ago. It will be astoundingly clear to you what I did not know. But I did not know it. It wasn't malicious, and yet it was still off target. Still sin. Now I know it, and I get to choose to move forward. Do you know what that means about five years from now? 
See, I'm as right with God as I know how to be standing here right now. But I also know five years from now when I look back, I won't be nearly as right as I thought I was. Somebody say, praise I, God. Praise God. I am being purified. I am being purified. See, our Heavenly Father is helping us shift our perspective. Your life is not about what happens this week. It is about a journey that is producing something just like Jacob. It is not about your current trial. It is about the 12 tribes coming from you. Our journey is intended to show what a process of salvation looks like to the rest of the world. While you are thinking about beautiful eureka moments, when you discover sin within yourselves that is bringing barrenness and cursing, and then beautiful eureka moments that give you the opportunity to choose him all over again, being transformed again. Amen. Ask yourself if you can think of any more godly men in the word of God than Daniel, Ezra, or Nehemiah. We want to look at their eureka moments on the journey that God had called them to. We have a slide for you. Daniel 9, 9 through 11. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, praise God, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, They've been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You need to notice here, Daniel is having a eureka moment. This is beautiful because it results in Daniel being shown the entire redemptive pattern for Israel. One that would take place over thousands of years. But it began at the moment eureka, he found the source of the problem and came to the altar. The Lord was not done with Daniel. His life would go on and he would progress, nor was he done with Israel. This eureka moment is how he takes them further. This is how he purifies their faith that is like gold. The Lord is not done with you either, LCM. He's not done with you. The moment you're having a eureka, I found it moment, it is the next step in the purifying of the faith that you already possess. You are now being perfected. We've just talked about Daniel 9. Let's look at Ezra 9. In verse 5 it says, Then at the evening sacrifice I rose from my self-abasement with my tunic and cloak torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face to you. Wow. Because our sins are higher than our heads. It is literally a mountain of sin. And our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great. Because of our sins, we and our kings and our priests have been subjected to the sword, to captivity, to pillage, and humiliation at the hands of foreign kings as it is today. Can you hear the Mount Ebal language that is here? Yep. They're suffering the barrenness and lifelessness that came from their own choices. Did you hear what Ezra said? 
that he was too ashamed to lift his face? Can anybody resemble, I mean, relate to that remark? As a pastor, I've seen that many, many times. But do you realize the reality of what we're saying here? I am too ashamed to lift my face. But he did lift his face. Yeah, he did. He actually put his feelings down and actually rose up in the right kind of choice that was showing that he had a purifying faith. He lifted his face because his father helped him. The point was not to shove his son's face in the dirt, but when his son acknowledged the problem, he could lift him out of it. Come on. See, the point was not to discard Ezra or the nation, but rather to develop them. This is a eureka moment. Come on. Church, every time that you identify the cause, the source of unfruitfulness, it is a eureka moment because you get to choose him again and you are now purifying your faith. If you discover an impurity in the same eureka moment, you're also discovering the path to greater purity. Yeah. Nehemiah 9.29 on your screen, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed, disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy. Come on. You did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Amen. Daniel 9, Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9. The great prayers of the Bible. The men that we esteem as immensely godly. All had eureka moments. Where in discovering the source of the impurity, although they were already on the journey, they became more purified, more holy, and brought others with them. Amen. Nehemiah understood that he was in a eureka moment. He understood why the nation's walls were broken down. And now he knew how to rebuild Hallelujah. them. This is what makes eureka moments so beautiful. The problem had always been there. But in recognizing the, the problem, the solution becomes clear. We simply choose him again. Come on. Do you want to choose him again, church? We got three grown, strapping young men standing in the back of the church, fighting to be alert. And I get it. Are you glad God's merciful? Have you been disappointed with yourself? <laughs> One of you is not more than the other. Look, when you find an area, a situation you shouldn't be in, a mistake that you made, you have also found a pathway to greater purity. These things should not be mourned. They should be celebrated like the discovery of a formula to purify gold. We're on a journey. And we're on a journey that allows us to choose again and again. Your placement on the journey of faith is between Ebal and Gerizim. These are where our eureka moments come from. Because we get to continually choose this day, tomorrow, and the next day. No matter what we discover, me and my household will serve the Lord.
There should be no despair. Today, despair dies in this house. Faith rises in this house. Amen. Today, we are going to take steps to purify our faith, which is of greater value than gold. Today can be another Eureka moment. Church, you may not have noticed, but from the beginning, we have been sharing passages out of the New Testament that are the Greek word for Eureka, starting with Luke 15. We're going to identify some Eureka moments together in the New Testament law, the New Testament prophets, and the New Testament writings. Do you have three more scriptures in you? Would you like a Eureka moment, or would you like gold that is less pure? This won't turn your skin yellow, and it won't make you break out. It'll make your soul shine. You're going to notice as we begin that the way it's translated in most of your Bibles again and again is to find or I found it. Acts 19 verse 1 is where we're going to begin. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found, there he eureka some disciples and asking them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We want you to interact with us for a moment. These disciples are having a eureka moment. The apostle Paul is having a eureka moment. There is clearly a lack of something that should have been there from the beginning. Both Paul, who had been preaching in Ephesus, and the disciples in this moment could grieve, could whine, could feel as if, what has happened? I don't have what I need. That's not what happened at all, though. They eureka They found the need that God was pointing out. They realized they were designed by the Almighty, that they were crafted, that they were fashioned to be filled with the Holy Spirit and its power. Saints, this was the only way that anyone gets empowered. These men were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were empowered and they began to leave the ball at that altar and go to Gerizim at the moment that they eureka'd their lack. Notice that they don't fall on the ground. There is no self-loathing here. The text goes on to illustrate the way in which they received such supernatural endowment and it cured their lack. Come on, tell me that that's speaking to you. This is what Eureka moments are all about. This is what it should look like. When you know that you lack something, you have to turn and say, Eureka, I've found it now. Power is coming. You get to choose all over again and display to the world, display to yourself. The awareness you now have causes you to choose Christ once again. Come on, take a look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and eureka grace to help us in our time of need, to be able to find God's grace when we are in need. Church, the writer of Hebrews is helping us to have a eureka moment. Come on. See, here they are clearly lacking something. They are personally invested with sin, infested with sin and weakness. See, they need 
and were designed by God to operate in the power of his grace. Hallelujah! That grace is only applied when they have a eureka moment, though, when they realize that they're without that grace so that they can confidently ask for it and receive it. Yes. Church, they did not ignore their own weaknesses. No excuses, no blame-shifting, they understood about their own weaknesses so they can walk in confidence yes. because they've had a eureka moment about those weaknesses. See, this is what eureka moments are all about, church. You know that you lack something. Eureka! eureka! I found it! Now, now you can choose to receive what you lack because of your awareness that you lack it. Do you see how in Acts 19, they had to first become aware that they lacked something that they're supposed to have? But that's not a depressing thing. Nope. The point of making them aware was so that God could give that to them. The writer of Hebrews is speaking about Jesus being a sympathetic high priest so that when you're aware of the lack of grace or God's power, you can ask and then you can have that. The Lord is not making you aware of areas of failure, barrenness, unfruitfulness in your life because he wants you to think less of yourself. He's making you aware because he wants you to have a eureka moment where you ask him and he gives you a more purified faith. Gold. That's the whole point of all of this. Every one of these passages is the same word, eureka. I made a discovery. Discovering sin is also discovering purity. They're two sides of one coin. Now, I, I don't want to spend much time on this. In fact, Peyton, you can come here now. We're going to read one more scripture together. And I, I want to tell you, some of you don't have because you don't ask. Because you don't know that you need. You'd like to ignore it. You're not having a eureka moment. You don't ask for the empowerment of the Holy Ghost because you don't know how badly you needed the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. You don't ask for more grace because you think you already have all the grace that you need. Those are those of you in here that really made a one-time decision at Ebal and never even ventured into Shechem where the ark is. And you're staring at Gerizim, claiming it, but nothing in your life shows any progress towards that. It's a very few of you in here. I could call your names, but I do it every time you're here, so I'm just going to leave it general. You know who you are. Many of you in here are discovering areas that you do have lack. But you, you think that because you discovered it, it makes you defective. That it disqualifies you. That the point is to diminish you. The only point is to develop you. The discovery is made for your perfection, not to label you with the imperfection. Okay? Any year that you are growing is a good year. And you cannot grow without finding imperfections on your path to perfection. Our last passage is about the only one that ever didn't have to have a eureka moment. Our eureka moment is when we found him. The Apostle John is speaking about him in Revelation 5. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was Eureka who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. 
They need a discovery. Something is hidden. It's not yet unveiled. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Church, the truth is, is that we're not worthy or able to rightly see ourselves. We don't have the perspective to do that. It's a gift from God when a eureka moment occurs. It's a gift to be able to see yourself rightly. In fact, some of you should be praying for that gift in here today. To be able to see yourself as God does. And then you appeal to him for the eureka moment. He's the one that unveils history. He's the one that unveils what you need. Both to see yourself in need and to meet that need. He'll help you discover the areas that are causing cursing, that are causing barrenness. And I'll tell you, you brought it on yourself. That's why the altar is there for you. And even though you brought it on yourself, in this Eureka discovery, he will show you the next step in your purification because he loves you. These are the best moments in our lives. Because in discovering the area of our lack and imperfection, barrenness and cursing, God conceives life. And that is an ongoing process. So saints, we have uh, officially concluded our sermon. Run out of notes on the page. But I have to tell you as family and as a pastor here, there are two things that are resounding in my head at this moment about you that are instilling hope and that we must come to grips with in this moment. Some of you have believed that holiness is ignorance. That you've sought not to identify yourself as sinful your whole life. You have fought your whole Christian walk for other people to not identify your sinfulness. And you have believed that that was righteousness. God is clearly saying to you what Proverbs 29, 18 indicates. Without prophetic vision, without revelation, you perish and cast off restraint. We're asking you to reach out to the God who can show you what you've been hiding from. Whether it was 5, 10, 20, or 30 years hiding from sin and trying not to be identified as sin is what will cause you to be cursed and live on a ball and never make it to Gerizim. This is not just a closing trick. This is not something we had typed. I'm telling you, God is speaking that to you. Stop hiding from it. Stop trying to identify as something else, looking for any way not to be labeled by the sin you know exists, but just don't want to see Come to grips and ask God to give you prophetic insight to what has been there the whole time. Because when we have his vision, we can confidently approach his throne, confidently approach his people, and God will set you free from things you have never been liberated from, although you've sat in this room for years. The second thing is a word from worship that came from us that was not shared but came back to my mind. Micah 2, 12. 
I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. Like a flock and its pasture, the place will throng with people. In the midst of all of this, what we're really fighting for is for you to be able to take God's perspective. For you to get out of the despair of a day or of a week and see the journey of what he is bringing you towards, what he is creating. Our God is circling us in a pen. He is moving us around, causing us to rub shoulders, placing us where he wants us so that he can purify us for what is next. One who breaks open the way will go before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Saints, I want to tell you that God is desirous of breakthrough. He is desirous of breakthrough in this room, and he is circling the pen. He is moving his flock around because he wants to break open the way for you. But on an even larger level, what he's doing in our day and time, what he's doing in the government around us, what he's doing in the One Association churches, is he is circling us up because he is going to lead the way to break into the nations. And he's going to do it with you following in his train. And we must be able to follow him on that journey. He's ensuring that you're able to now. Does anybody in the room want to have an ineffectual life and miss your calling? Then it begins right now by recognizing he is the one who circled you into this moment. He is the one by his sovereignty who brought you into the seat. You would never have made it on your own. And he's saying, ask me and I will show you your own condition. But when you face it and recognize it, I am waiting to purify you and empower you. And there are blessings on the other side. In fact, I will go first and I will break open the way if you will follow me today. See, I remember when I got born again, I chose to follow him and I felt him break open the way. I'm telling you, today is a day that will be more than when you were first born again. He will break open things that only come by this kind of recognition. So as we begin to pray, men, take responsibility for the breakthrough your houses need. Take responsibility for your own condition and decide today, I will not sit through this church service. I will follow my king as he goes. Mighty one, we thank you that you are speaking to us. We thank you that you do transform us that you are bringing us into Gerizim and you have caused us to live in the tension between the two so that we would cry out, so that we would draw near to you, so that we would be delivered by you, good king of the sheep.